Welcome to this week's episode of My Mysterious Bible, the podcast that attempts to make sense of the strange and challenging parts of the Bible. I'm your host, Michael Norton, and this week we will be looking at an extraordinarily bizarre passage in Jude. Jude is a very short book of the New Testament, but it is packed with very deep theological references to the Old Testament and other sources. Putting together this episode really made it clear to me that this brief book deserves its own series, which I intend to do in the future. Our text this week will be Jude verses 1 through 11, but our theological drill down will be verses 8 through 11. So let's begin reading this. Verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Verse 2, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Verse 3, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Verse 6. And the angels, who did not stay with their, within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. Some quick information. Jude and his brothers, James, his brother James, are usually believed to be the biological brothers of Jesus who were born of Joseph and Mary after the virgin birth of Jesus. The book was probably written between AD 65 and 80. Peter gives us a very similar warning to the one that Jude did in 2 Peter 2.10, and I quote, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Verse 12. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Both of these passages warn against what would be called the works of the flesh in Galatians 5.19. And I'm going to quote that now. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, 
envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Moreover, both of these passages give a very stern warning about humans pronouncing judgment over things in the spirit realm. Not even the archangel Michael was willing to do that. Let's look at verse 8, and we see four transgressions listed. The first is relying on their dreams, and I'm going to turn to the IVP background commentary for this. Dreaming probably refers to dreamings of false prophets who produce falsehood while claiming to speak the truth. And it refers to these uh, false prophets claiming that angels, majesties, glories, these members of the angelic host are giving them their dreams, to which God has assigned authority over the nations, nature, and so on in Jewish tradition. Disrespect for earthly authorities and the spiritual powers behind them appointed by God would cause Christians to be labeled as subversive and produce widespread persecution of them in the Roman Empire. Some scholars have also suggested that they reviled these angels as the angels through whom God gave the law because of their anti-law stance. But it is not clear that they argued for immorality primarily on the basis of their rejection of the law. And this is talking about the Israelites who were in full rebellion against God. Next, they defiled the flesh. Verses 5 and 6 reference back to the sexual transgressions of Genesis 6. The sons of God, who are members of the heavenly host, take for themselves wives from the daughters of men. And their offspring, giant hybrids called Nephilim. And then it goes on to Sodom and Gomorrah, which has an inversion of Genesis 6, where ungodly men want to rape angels who are in the form of men. Next, they reject authority. They're in rebellion against God and his authority. This seems pretty self-evident. No need to elaborate. And lastly, they, they blaspheme the glorious ones. And this will take us right into verse 9. The dispute between Satan and Michael is very interesting because it does not appear in the Old Testament. But Jude states it authoritatively and seems to expect his audience to be fully aware of what he is talking about. Many scholars claim it comes from a book titled The Assumption of Moses, written in the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This period of time is usually referred to as the Second Temple Period or the Intertestamental Period, and it ranges from 597 BC to 70 AD, which marks the time from the return of the Babylonian exile and the construction of the Second Temple to the destruction of the Second Temple by the Romans in the first century. Books like Enoch and the Assumption of Moses were written and became prominent during this time. I'm going to quote from an article by Ryan e. Stokes, titled, Not Over Moses' Dead Body, June 9, 23-24, and the Assumption of Moses in their early Jewish context. The dispute between Michael and the devil to which Jude refers does not appear in the Hebrew Scriptures. It is an extra-canonical Jewish legend, one of the many to which the Epistle of Jude alludes. Unfortunately, it is also one that has not been preserved among the literary remains of the early Judaism. Nevertheless, Several related traditions that have been preserved in the literature from this period can contribute much to one's understanding of the story. The present study situates Jude 9 and the story to which this verse refers to among such early traditions. These include traditions about Moses' body as well as those about the nature and activity of the Satan figure. Most significantly, since Jude's source was one that made use of Zechariah 3, this prophetic text and early interpretations of it provide especially helpful points of comparison with Jude. End quote. Now this is me. I need to point out that the term Satan, which is Hebrew 
for adversary clearly does not always refer to the devil when used in the Old Testament. There is actually a very valid scholarly argument that in the Old Testament it was never used for the devil slash serpent who deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. During the intertestamental period that we mentioned earlier, Jewish writers began to use the term for the rebel serpent in Genesis 3, and it stuck. So by the time of Jesus, it was an accepted way of referring to the original rebel we are introduced to as a serpent in Genesis. Now we will look at the Bible knowledge commentary for verse 9. The archangel Michael was sent to bury Moses' body, but according to Jewish tradition, such as, again, the, the pseudepigraphal book, The Assumption of Moses, the devil argued with the angel about the body, apparently claiming the right to dispose of it. But why would Michael be worried about a body? Because the author of Jude would have known the custom of the time, which traditionally associated Michael with the burial of Israelites, as we see in the entry from the Dictionary of Deities and Demons in the Bible. And I quote, Another corpus of traditions is alluded to in Jude 9, where Michael and Satan argue about the soul and body of Moses. This particular item belongs to the broader stream of traditions characterizing Michael as a guide of souls, who carries the soul of the seer, such as on an apocalyptic journey, and serves as an entity to who helps a prophet or other mortal experiencing revelation make sense of it. Most naturally, the bulk of revelations received that way are concerned with the last day, the judgment of the deceased, and such related matters. So Michael comes to take the souls of the fathers, and the soul of Adam is an example. When he does this, he is actually involved in the burying rites. So the internment of the body of Moses could very well fall upon Michael as the sole guide to Moses in this tradition. And then verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. This is the golden takeaway of this week, but we need to put it in context. Michael has been battling the fallen forces of evil in multiple accounts in the Bible. I'm going to give a couple of these examples to put Michael in perspective as how highly he ranks in the host of heaven. First, we'll go to Daniel 10, verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And he spoke to me, and I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, Behold, the prince of Greece will come, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And now Revelation 12, starting at verse 7. Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. I hope these accounts make it clear. Michael would be far more justified to blaspheme these glorious ones, as is stated in verse 8. So there is no excuse or justification for us doing it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of My Mysterious Bible. 
please rate us on whichever service you are using to listen. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the future episodes, please email me at mymysteriousbible at gmail.com or join the My Mysterious Bible Facebook group. This concludes this week's episode. Have a blessed week.